Well, good morning, First Alliance Church. My name is Pastor DeAndre. I have the privilege of being your youth pastor. If we've not had the opportunity uh, to have a conversation, would you come up after the service? I would love the opportunity uh, to meet you uh, and have a conversation with you. One of my favorite things to do is to meet up with people and chat over a good cup of coffee or a meal or even just kind of walk around the parking lot. And I love being able to sit and encourage people. Um, but if I'm honest, it's been great to be able to sit and receive encouragement as well. Um, it's one thing that I, I absolutely love about First Alliance Church. Um, this place is filled with people who love to encourage other people. And you guys are some of the most encouraging people that, you know, I've ever met. And that's one thing that we love about this church. And can you believe it's it's been about a year since my family and I have joined this journey that FAC has been on? Uh, it's been an extremely exciting journey for us, but it's also been a really hard battle. And it's um, I, I know that with the year that we've all had, the, this current battle that we're facing has been hard for a lot of us. And I'm sure it, it's been a hard battle for a lot of people that we know. I'm also sure that as I, I look around and I make eye contact with as many people as I can, I'm, I'm sure in this moment you can start to to recall some battles that you've faced in the past, some battles that you are facing right now, and battles in the future, because we all have them. We will all have battles. But I stand here today with you, family, with a desire to encourage you. Um, I, I was brought to a familiar story in the Old Testament, which I would like to share with you today. Now, this story may be familiar to some of you if you've uh, read the the book of Joshua. Um, and, or this story may be familiar to you if you remember this song. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. I used to love being able to sing that with um, the, the kids that we had in children's ministry because they would just fall over to the ground. You know, I, I did it too, if I'm honest with you. Reading through this story again, I was reminded of something that I hope encourages you today, and it's important for us to know that if you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will fight battles. We can read the entire Bible and see that men and women alike were fighting battles for their faith and because of their faith. Young men like David when he fought Goliath or even the, the prophetess Deborah when she challenged and called Barak to rise and face 900 chariots of iron because the people of Israel were being oppressed. Believers have been fighting battles for a very long time and we will continue to fight battles. This is why today it is my desire to encourage you that when you fight your battles, you are not fighting for victory. When we fight our battles, we are not fighting for victory. We don't need to fight for victory. Because when a believer is fighting a battle, they are already fighting that battle from a place of victory. It doesn't matter the battle that we're facing because with God on our side, we will never lose. God has already handed you the victory. But the question is, do you believe that? So today, I want to take a look at a familiar story where God has already handed Joshua a victory. But there are a few things that Joshua did that I feel are really good practice for us today. Because I feel like when Christians are in the heat of the battle, we lose sight that we have already won the victory. And therefore, we start to drift into a place of defeat and despair. So if you're ready, I'm ready. 
We're going to read again Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. That will be our main text for the remainder of our time together. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up there and read along with me if you choose. Uh, We will also have the verses displayed behind me as well. Again, that'll be Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. uh, And I'll be reading from the ESV. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this moment, would you begin working and stirring in our hearts? We all. We all battles where some of us are fighting those battles right now, whether it's physical or financial, mental, emotional, we're all fighting battles. Lord, my desire this morning is to do your will. Father, encourage your people this morning of the victory that they've already won. Holy Spirit, this time belongs to you. Do with it as you please. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. So our our chapter begins with the description of a city known as Jericho. This city is described to be possibly the oldest city on the earth. It was located west of the Jordan River. Now, the city of Jericho was also chosen to be destroyed in order that the Israelite people be able to go into the land in which they are promised. We can see that in the book of Deuteronomy, which is why Joshua led the Israelite people there. Verse 1 told us that Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out. No one came in. 
This means that Jericho was this extremely fortified city. Its, its walls were reported to be about four to five feet wide. And there were actually two parallel walls that stood about 15 feet apart. They were tight. No one came in. No one came out. Now, this is a report that is confirmed by the spies who were sent in Numbers chapter 13. They were sent to spy on the Canaanite cities. They came back giving this report of these cities that were heavily guarded, fortified, and very large. Now, this report was given under Moses' leadership. However, it was God's command for these spies to be sent out in the first place. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we see that Moses dies at the age of 120 years old. When he dies, the people mourn the loss of their leader. But their mourning ends, and God rises Joshua into leadership. Now, this brings us to the book of Joshua, which begins with this report that after Moses dies, we're told that Joshua, he was Moses's assistant, which means that Moses was teaching him and training him up. The Lord tells Joshua that Moses is dead. He says, now it's time for you to rise and take the Israelite people over, cross this Jordan and enter into the land that I'm giving you. And then he tells them this. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised Moses, Joshua is given leadership and command over the people of Israel. He has to lead them to this land that they are promised. And as we continue to read through Joshua, we find different people groups and different things attempting to stand in the way of that exact thing. But the Israelites have this promise that everywhere the sole of their feet touches, God has given to them. This is a promise. I would dare say a covenant that was between Moses, the Israelites and God. And now that same promise, that same covenant is between Joshua, the Israelites and God. Now we get to the end of chapter five. So we're going to back up a little bit here and we see Joshua standing in front of Jericho. And it says that he looks up and he sees this man standing there with his sword drawn. Now to a warrior like Joshua, it tells him that this guy means business. So Joshua asks this guy a very warrior-like question. And in, in, in verses 13, we see Joshua says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Because Joshua knew that if this man was not with them, that meant that he was an enemy, which also meant that it was bad news bears for this guy that's standing in front of Joshua. Because the Lord said it, they will be defeated. So he, he asked him this warrior-like question. And then Joshua receives this answer that this man was actually the commander of the Lord's army. Listen, listen to this interaction and notice Joshua's response. It's in verse 14 of Joshua chapter 5. If you like to turn there, it says, and he said, no. Now remember, Joshua is, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Now, certain translations will, will say neither. I like the ESV that just says no. <laughs> just no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua sees this man and asked him, are you for us or are you against us? Because if you are against us, God has already told me that you will be defeated. And the commander of the Lord's army makes himself known to Joshua. What he does then, what happens next is Joshua doesn't buck up and say, well, I, I'm the commander of Israel's army. No, he falls down on his face and awaits command. 
This tells us that Joshua was aware of who was in charge. The commander came to Joshua to share this message. And when he made himself known to Joshua, it was a reminder that Joshua was actually second in command. That prompted Joshua to change his posture before the battle. Because the commander of the Lord's army didn't just come to assist, he came to lead. He came to give Joshua a command on what he should do. Joshua knew that he wasn't the only, he wasn't the one leading this army. God was. Joshua knew that he wasn't the one steering this ship. God was. Joshua knew that he wasn't the one that was driving this car. He knew that Jesus was literally the one taking the wheel. Because of that, he humbles himself. He falls prostrate in front of the commander and says, what message do you have for me? The rest of the story of Jericho is literally Joshua just following the Lord's commands. But he began with bowing down and acknowledging who was really in charge. Notice that he is standing in front of Jericho, the exact place that they are about to to, to engage in warfare with. And the Lord comes to Joshua and Joshua bows down before him saying, I'm here to do your will, not my own. This should tell us that when we are fighting and in facing the battles that we have in our lives, it's, it's actually not our battle. It's the Lord's. And we are not first in command. No matter the battle, no matter what you're facing, it doesn't matter what it is. One of my favorite commentary writers says that every father, mother, pastor, Christian leader is second in command to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as soon as we forget this, as soon as we, as soon as it slips our mind, as soon as we forget this, we start to move toward defeat. We start to move toward failure. Because without Jesus being first in command, we will always drive toward defeat and we will always drive toward failure. It's what we naturally want to do because of sin. A few months ago, I I purchased this 06 Nissan Xterra. It's this really cool looking car, but it's got its fair share of issues that I've been fixing. One of those issues is that it naturally wants to pull to the right. Now, when when I'm on the highway, this is a bad thing because if the car kept drifting to the right, eventually it will fall off the cliff, which ultimately will lead in defeat and despair, right? Now, if if your car starts to drift over the side, you hit a fair share of different warnings, right? First, you, you pass that, that white line that's there, that solid white line, but that... That white line just tells you, okay, you need to get back over in, in, into, into your lane, right? You need to correct, you need to get back over. But it doesn't stop your car from, from actually drifting over, right? And then if you keep going, you hit something that's called the rumble strips. But my family calls them car farts because when you do drive over them, it's kind of like your, your car is farting, right? You can laugh, it's okay. But even those, those don't stop your car from drifting over. It just tells you that there needs to be a correction. You need to get back into your lane. And then eventually you hit what? The guardrails. Now the guardrails are created by like top class, like class A galvanized steel, which means that they are are created to be able to absorb impact when, when something or someone hits it. But if the car is going fast enough or the car is big enough, not even those guardrails could stop the car from falling off the side of the cliff, which only leaves whoever's driving the car. Now, in in the case of my Xterra, I have to continually correct the steering to make sure that I'm staying inside of my lane. But when it comes to our lives, it comes to the battles that we are facing in our lives, the only person equipped 
to be driving is Jesus. The only person equipped to be, to be taking us in that direction is Jesus. And I hope that this brings new meaning to Jesus take the wheel. Because he's the only one that is equipped to stop us from driving directly into despair and defeat. And Joshua knew this. He knew that the first thing that he needed to do is remember that God promised him that he would always be with him and that Jesus was first in command during this battle, not Joshua. So before we start looking at anything Joshua did, this is the first reminder and encouragement that I want to give to you today. You don't have to fight for victory because Jesus is actually the one that is fighting for you. He is first in command. So with the battle that you are facing, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge who is in control. And that is Jesus. Now, there is still a part that we do have to play in this. And that brings us to chapter six. So we have Joshua chapter six, beginning with his description of Jericho. And in verse two, there is a report of what the Lord told Joshua. Verse two reads, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Now, I believe that this is a continuation of the conversation that he was having in chapter five. Okay, so we know that Jericho is this this fortified city and the Lord has already given it over to Joshua. Verse three through five reads, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the walls of, of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every one straight before him. Joshua is in front of these giant walls and the Lord tells him to take your men of war, your warriors, your soldiers, walk around the city once for six days. Then on the seventh day, you shall walk around the city seven times and the priest shall blow trumpets of ram's horns that were walking in front of the ark. This was the command that the Lord told Joshua. Now for me, I like making plans. I like making youth group plan trips. I like figuring out which way my family is going to get to where we need to go. And it's usually the fastest way there and the fastest way back. I like making plans for my life, plans to do things with other people. And if my plans are better than your plans, best believe we're going to be doing what? My plans. Because I like to make plans. Now, imagine Joshua, a warrior, someone who's been leading the Lord's army through battle after battle. Here's a plan like this one. March around the city for seven days while carrying around this huge ark. And then the musicians are going to come out, blow their trumpets, and then the walls are just going to fall down. This plan to conquer Jericho sounds like foolishness, or as my good friend Herb Gilroy says, hogwash. But God finds delight in showing his power in seemingly foolish ways. Joshua and his trumpets, Gideon with the torches, or maybe even David with his sling. God's plans aren't foolish because they work. It's up to you and me to believe that his plan will work and to be obedient to it. If you ask me, Joshua had a few choices. So do we. Now, he could have made up his own plan, crossed his fingers, and hoped that he would conquer one of the most fortified Canaanite cities and, and, and didn't tell God anything about it. Plan number one. 
Second, he could have made up his own plan and then asked God to bless his plans and, 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 and that he made up and hoped that he would then conquer one of the most fortified Canaanite cities. Or number three, he could have asked God for his plans and then did exactly what God told him to do. Joshua did option number three. And this is why Israel succeeded. When facing our own battles, we need to do the exact same thing. When we are facing battles, we, we first need to acknowledge who is in charge. And then we need to ask the Lord what he wants us to do. And once he tells us, we need to obey. And that's exactly what Joshua and the Israelites did. Let's walk through this together. Verses 16 through 14. We see Joshua giving that report to the Israelites just as God had told him. And then they actually carry it out. So Joshua and the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did this for six days. Let's stop here for a second. Six days. So Joshua and all his people arrive at the walls of Jericho doing exactly what the Lord had commanded them to do. The armed men would march around Jericho once a day for six days, followed by the seven priests, each blowing a trumpet. The priests would be carrying the Ark of the Lord. They would come next, and then the rear guard would would complete the lineup. While they are marching, Joshua assures them that they cannot make any noise. They cannot shout at all until he cannot talk at all until he tells. That's hard for me. The only noise permitted was the sound of the trumpets. So they they walked around Jericho for six days and returned to camp each night. They returned to camp for six days with what feels like nothing to show for it. No war chance, nothing. No intimidation factors, nothing. They did this for six days straight. Some of us have been fighting what feels like the same battle for a long, long time. We keep doing the same things over and over and over again, and it feels like we will never win. I can only imagine what the Israelites were feeling. But we have to remember that they didn't overcome Jericho because of their ability to do anything. The only thing they did, the only thing they had to do was follow God's command and get up and walk. So they did that. The next thing they did is have faith. What God said would happen would actually happen. This is hard for us. You know, me, I'm like, all right, Lord, you told me to march. Then I'm going to march. But man, I sure hope these walls start coming down because I know myself. By day three or four, if I don't see any sign that these walls are about to start coming, if I don't see start like little pebbles crumbling off the wall by day three or four, it's going to be really hard for me to get up and line up to march the next day. But that's not 
That's not what faith is. You see, because the people of Israel had been given one demonstration after another, proving that God's word and God's power can be trusted. We have that evidence right in our Bibles. And I believe that the Israelites, they marched because they already had so many examples where God did amazing things for them. He opened up the Red Sea for them. He destroyed the the Egyptian army for them. He provided them food and water in the most miraculous ways. He defeated undefeatable kings and now is bringing them into this land in which he promised. How could they not trust the Lord? I've been reading and a, a few others believe that the significance in this is found in the order that Joshua revealed God's commands. See, first we see that Joshua, he shared the Lord's plan with the priest first. Now, I believe this was to make sure that the ark of the Lord was in its proper place. Now, the ark of the Lord represented the presence of God. It's important for us to understand that the ark of the Lord was not the actual presence of God. It just represented that the Lord was with his people. This ark was extremely important because it was, in fact, a reminder that God was with the Israelites. This was God's people. This was God's army. They took that ark everywhere they went because it declared that God's presence was with them. This was not a good luck charm. When I wrestled in high school, I had my lucky pair of Pittsburgh Perry Blue knee-high stocking socks that I wore for every wrestling match. Every wrestling match I had, I had those socks on. Every match I won, I had those socks on. Didn't wash them. Every match I lost, I still had those socks on. Because good luck charms are foolish. But the Ark of the Lord wasn't some large box thing that they carried around for good luck. It actually represented the presence of God and reminded the Israelites of the promise that wherever God's presence is, there will be victory. Look at the person that's sitting six feet away from you and say, wherever God is, there is victory. Amen. As Christians, we don't, we don't have an ark, but we do have God's actual presence that dwells inside of every believer. The cross is a reminder of the price that was paid in order for you to be able to receive that. We have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of every believer permanently. And the book of John tells us that we weren't able to receive the spirit until the son was glorified. And he was. He is in heaven right now interceding for you and for me in all of his glory. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the actual physical presence of God inside of you. So no matter what battle you're facing, you know that you are not fighting for victory, but from a place of victory, because wherever God's presence is, there is victory. So Joshua, he tells the priest. Then he instructs the soldiers. Now, according to Numbers 26, the entire army Joshua had at his disposal, just who could pick up a sword was over 600,000 men, just the ones who were able to pick up a sword. But I don't believe that all of the Israelites went with them and actually marched around the city. However, I do believe that when the people of Israel actually heard about God's plan, what his plan was, even though they weren't the ones who were going around marching around the city of Jericho, because remember, if you read through the people, they could have numbered about 2 million people. But I do believe that they were still obedient in God's plan. They didn't come up with another plan because they didn't trust or believe God's plan would work and didn't trust and believe in Joshua's leadership. Another one of my favorite writers, he says, it's important that leaders receive their orders from the Lord, but it's also important that those who follow them obey their instructions. 
This is why obedience is so important. When God's people rebel against spiritual leadership, which Israel did many times, it often led them to the wilderness, oftentimes led them to defeat and being handed over to to cruel kings and, and led them to despair and even sometimes death. There will come times when you feel like nothing is happening. Or we feel like we've been fighting this battle for a very long time. Financial pressure, marriage pressure. We feel like we've been fighting these battles for a very long time. Or that we may be following pointless and stupid orders, but we have to trust that our leaders are seeking the Lord. In those moments of just waiting, when it seems really hard to trust, know that it could be a time of you learning patience and obedience. And it was through this patience and obedience that God's people inherit the promise that he gave them. So from verses 6 to about 16, Joshua gives the report of the Lord to the Israelite people. They follow God's instructions for six days. And then they finally arrive on day 7. And this is the report that's given. I'm going to start at verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to his people, shout for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her household shall live because she hit the messengers whom we sent. These few verses that we've just read together is the moment that most people in a battle are ready for. We're always ready for the victory. Joshua was obedient to God's commands. He acknowledged God as commander first, listened to what the Lord had commanded him, and he reported that back to the Israelite people, and they obeyed Joshua's command from the Lord, and they marched around the city for six days, not making a sound except for the ram's horn. They finally get to day seven. They rose at dawn and began to march. Now, this seems really redundant, and I'm sure it, for the Israelite people as well as the Canaanite people that are watching them, probably seems really redundant. I'm sure it does for us. We keep reading through what feels like the same couple of verses over and over and over again. He got up and he marched. He got up and he marched. There was a horn, the Ark of the Covenant, priest, right? But this day, they would do a few things differently. They would still be carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, representing that God's presence was with them. They would also be marching in silence. And so Joshua gave them a command otherwise. And this is where it becomes different. This day, the seventh day, Joshua and his people would march around the walls of Jericho seven times. Now, this number seven is really important here because in biblical numerology, the number seven, it represents completeness or perfection. It means to be full or to be satisfied. We see this when God finished his work of creation, he rested on the seventh day. Theologians have reported the Jews noted that there were seven promises in God's covenant with Abraham and seven branches on the candlestick in the tabernacle. So anything involving this number seven was very sacred to God's people. What this number represented was God's ability to finish what he started. So God gave this command over to Joshua. He reported it and they followed his instructions in obedience Now, on the seventh day, they began to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times, showing that God is going to finish what he started, showing again that he will have the victory. Now, once they walked around the city seven times, the the priests began to blow the trumpets again. 
was awesome. Now, if you know what a trumpet looks like, the one that Mr. Doug was just playing there doesn't look like a familiar trumpet because it wasn't just a normal trumpet. See, the Jews, they would use two different kinds of trumpets. They would use those made of silver and those made of ram's horn, and that's the one that Doug had. The silver trumpets were used especially by the priests to signal the camp when something important was happening. The ram's horn were used primarily for celebrations. The ram's horn was also known as the Jubilee horn. This horn was not used to declare that there would be war. This horn was used to declare that the war had already been won. The priest blew this ram's horn to proclaim that liberty and victory were won for the Israelite people. They declared this victory because they knew that God had already won this battle for them. Today, as Christians and believers in Christ, wherever we go, no matter what battle we are facing, we should be walking in that victory, declaring this victory no matter the battle. We should be declaring the victory of Jesus Christ over all of our struggles, no matter if they're financial struggles, physical struggles, no matter if they're emotional battles, battles in your marriage, battles with your children, battles with your job. It doesn't matter what it is. Declare a victory over your battles. Once the ram's horn was sounded, Joshua gave the command for his people to shout, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. After that, all the people of Israel had to do was rush into the city and take over. And that's exactly what they did. Now, Joshua gave the Israelites a few more commands, and this is what I would like to leave you with. In the last few verses, Joshua told them that only Rahab the prostitute and her family should be spared from the destruction of Jericho. Everything else in the city should be conquered and devoted to the Lord. This was God's command to Joshua. There weren't just the commands before the victory, but there were things that we needed to obey and follow after the victory came. This tells me that not only should we fight from a place of victory, but it tells me that once we actually see that victory comes, we have to remember to continue to obey God's commands and we have to give him the glory for that victory because he has been planning our victories from the beginning. Rahab was a female Gentile, which meant that she was unclean. And on top of that, she was a prostitute, which meant that she was one of the lowest and the unclean and unworthy Gentiles there could be. But yet God chose her. But yet God spared her because of her faith. Rahab was the reason that the two spies that were sent to the Canaanite cities in the book of Numbers, the reason they got back safely was because of her faith in God, so she helped them. They were able to make it back safely because of her faith in God, and because of her faith in God, he spared her. Now, this is where it gets pretty cool. God gave the command for Rahab and her family to be spared. When God spares Rahab, she becomes the wife of a guy named Salmon. She becomes an ancestor of King David. See where I'm going here? And eventually... Jesus. Now, there is so much more to the story of Jericho, but I feel like this is where we need to stop. Joshua begins this battle with Jericho by falling on his face. He acknowledges God as the one who is in charge of this battle. From there, he listens to the Lord's commands and instructs his people to do the exact same thing. The Israelites are patient and obedient while they march around the city for seven days. Then God does as he promised he would do and hands Jericho over to Joshua and his army. Rahab is spared and she's children and her children have children 
and their children have children and their children have children. And about 1400, I mean, I believe it's 1,406 years later, Jesus is born. Jesus then grows up, begins his journey to the cross where he dies a horrible death so that we could live an abundant life. God then arises Jesus from the dead three days later, defeating sin and death. Christ would make his way to seeing his disciples, giving them the command to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching people to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he says what? I will be with you until the end of the age. That promise sound familiar? And then he says, as he ascends into heaven, my father is going to send you a gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything without it. It's the Holy Spirit. Which is the physical presence of God that dwells permanently inside of every single believer. Which tells us that wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever step we take is holy ground. And we know, like we learned today, wherever God's presence is, say it with me, there will be victory. This is why I want to encourage you to say today, I want to encourage you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, stop fighting your battles for victory and start fighting your battles from a place of victory. Amen? Let's pray. God, sometimes it it just feels like there are enemies in front of us, behind us, to our left and to our right, and we, we feel surrounded. We've got struggles in our family, struggles in our jobs, struggles in our finances, struggles in our marriages, struggles with our children, so many battles that we have to fight, God, and we just feel like, We're drifting into defeat and despair. But God, we want to acknowledge that you are in command. And we know that because we have your presence inside of us, we can fight from a place of victory. Father, we thank you so much for this reminder today. We pray this in your holy, matchless name. Amen.